presence matter? I know that's what we all were really worried about, actually. <laughs> Do they matter? I've had a lot of people tell me that they don't really matter. Would love for you to come. We're having a party at our house. Our son is engaged and is going to be married. And we so would like for you and Andrea to be there. Don't need you to bring anything. We just want you. Can you come? Hey, we're having a special birthday party. Can you believe he's 60? Yeah, I can, actually. I've seen pictures. (laughs) Really want you guys to be there. Um, Want you to know you don't need to bring anything. Really, it would be better if you didn't. Please don't bring anything. We just want you to be there. Have you got those? Have you sent those? It's almost like we're trying to be apologetic. Really, it's, it, it's not what you have. It's not what you're going to give me that matters. You matter to me. I think that's what they're trying to say. That's what I'm trying to communicate. It's, it's not about the presence. It isn't. Um, it's about you really value you and we appreciate you and and the presence don't matter. And yet, they just seem to matter, don't they? Like, don't the presence kind of matter? Like kids, when you talk to them, hey, what do you want for Christmas? Oh, it really doesn't matter. No, it matters. Here's what I want and here's where I want you to get it and I've already researched it and I've already, I still remember being a kid and getting the catalog, and ripping out the pages, and cutting out the pictures of the pages, and mom, then here's where you go to get it, and can you, I want this. I, I never once have said to my mom, not when I was a child, I've never once said to my mom, it really doesn't matter, I just want you for Christmas, mom. No, presents matter. Maybe I want presents to not really matter, because then it's a little easier for me. It explains a little bit of some of my behaviors. Yeah, that was me. December 24th um, at Walmart buying Christmas presents. Um, because that's a really good time to f- fin- I mean, start my Christmas shopping. Listen, I love her. She means everything to me. Like, I really do care. Maybe if I can just convince myself that the presents really don't matter, then it just makes it a little bit easy for me to go about my schedule, to be on my agenda, and then just kind of sneak some things in. After all, what she really wants is me for Christmas. And the presents, after all, don't really what? Matter. But they seem to matter. It just it keeps coming back over and over and over again. Presence matter. And maybe it's even good for us to just stop and to recognize that maybe they mean a little more than we thought they meant. Like, I, I get that none of us get married for the gifts. At least if you do, wow, that makes no sense whatsoever. And I know that we don't spend all of those years in school or four to seven really hard years in college just for the gifts. But they matter, don't they? Like people saying thank you, and especially the intentionality behind it. Well, but we're not very intentional with it. Do we have to get something? Do we have to get something? 
See, that's what makes it so hard. I don't know what to get. Um, that's code for, I don't know if I want to do the hard work of trying to understand how I can know them and bless them with something from my heart. Andrea and I spent some time with a young man from Germany, and uh, it was a blessing. It was a challenge and a blessing. And I'll never forget when he said, hey, my dad's going to be coming, and he's going to be visiting, and uh, is it okay if he stays here? He really wants to get to know uh, the Johnson family and to say thank you, and so he'll be coming. And, and we were excited about meeting uh, Tomas's father. And so Tomas's father, Burkhart, shows up, and uh, he has gifts for us. And um, it, would, you, would you please have a seat? And I remember sitting down like in our living room and he then gives us gifts. Don't open them. Don't open them. Just, just hold on to them. Just don't. don't. So I'm just holding this gift and Andrea's holding her gift and we're waiting. And, and then he brings out like a photo album. Wow, okay, that's a little weird. Photo album? I, I don't understand how they, why they do things in Germany the way they do. But as I'm sitting there, he just says, now you can open up the album. And it's just a picture of him. And kind of doing some things. And he provided for us a story of how he chose and where he went to buy each of our gifts. Wow. Like um, Burkhart would say, yeah, like gift giving. Do you know someone that's this intentional with their gifts? This intentional with their relationships. And so he begins to, yeah, I happened to be, and I can't remember where it was. I was in Belgium, or I was in Paris, or I was somewhere, and, and I was thinking about Andrea, and I was wondering what she might possibly want. And so I looked at this store, and then I looked at this, and he's, he's picture after picture. And then I finally found this store, and then I went up and I talked to this person. And it's like I'm, we're getting a movie of Burkhart's shopping day. And then he would say, and then I finally found this gift. Open it up. And I'm unpacking it, and I'm unpacking it like very few gifts I've ever unpacked in my life. Um, what he was trying to say, and this is where it kind of blends together, presence matter. Because what you've done for me, and for Tomas, and for our family, matters. Thank you. presence matter and I'm like I knew they mattered like I knew it is it easier for us if they don't matter does it just just make kind of our, our lives it does it allow our lives to be untethered from the difficulty or the intentionality of of managing and loving other people and Christmas is the time of year and I, this is the difficult part where we should slow down so that we can receive and appreciate. Because why? Because presents really do matter. In the Bible, they mattered. That's why when, when God, the first great giver, and he didn't just give, he created. And he didn't just do it on December 24th at Walmart. Like that's not how he made the wonderful, wonderful oceans that we see. Like he didn't just at the last minute throw together the Rocky Mountains. He, he didn't just kind of off of a whim create the sunset 
or the sunrise. He, he, he didn't just kind of haphazardly, like somehow it didn't really matter the way that he made you and I. No, everything that is, the stars, the sky, everything that is, all of humanity is a sign of God's goodness, God's greatness. Because why? These are gifts to us. And God doesn't give cheap gifts. And, and to try to say God is intentional with what he does is an understatement. Everything has a plan and everything has a purpose. I, I could almost see in, in the way that Burkhart was presenting these presents to us, like the Bible being shown. Let, let, me tell you how, let me tell you how Mary came to be. And let me tell you how the birth came to be, right? And it's like this, it, it's not just opening, it's not just Merry Christmas. It's just look at how God brings these things together. Now open it. Now open it. Merry Christmas. This is why the, the children of Israel should have got a, a picture from the creation about what it was going to be like when God gave them a land, a land promised to their, um, their father, Abraham. And I'm going to give you a land, and I'm, I'm not just giving you anywhere. I'm not throwing this together. This isn't last-minute shopping. You can't get the holy land, the, the promised land on, at Amazon. One th the only thing I don't think you can get at Amazon, you can't buy this. In the end, this has been prepared for you. This has been something that I have intentionally designed for you and made for you, this land that is flowing with milk and honey. That's it's just a, a catchword for, um, in most of that part of the world, there's like this good land and it's really, really hard to have. Like you've got to fight for it or you've got to be really, really strong to maintain it. And, and the Israelites had every reason to kind of look around and go, we'll never get anything. We're not big enough. We're not strong enough. We'll never get anything. We'll never have like a gift that really matters. And God says, no, I have one for you. And it's flowing with milk and honey. It is, it is fertile. It is, it is going to provide all of your needs. And Israel should have known that if God was going to give him a land, it would be a land like that. Why? Because presence matter. So these were in my office earlier this week, and a little boy walking down the hall sees them, and his eyes light up. And he says to me, hey, Mr. Jim, are those real? And I looked at him, and uh, I, I could tell that that, that mattered. He was afraid that if once he got really, really excited, and I'd love to open, can I open one, can I open one, and here's what he was afraid of, is that by the time he got through it all, and all of the mess, and how do you get into these, and why did she have to put tape there, you know, and how do we do this, and I'm just, I hope I don't break it, I hope I don't break it, and then by the time you get it all open, it's just empty, and all of a sudden, Oh, they're just for show. There's nothing worse than when you thought you were going to get something and in the end it's just an empty box. And I, I said to him, yeah, no, Matthew, they're just for my sermon on Sunday. And he just went, oh, okay. And he just walked off. No interest. 
I don't need, I don't need something that, you know, my mom just decorating the house with or whatever. I want, I want like a real present, right? See, it's interesting how we know this and, and God demonstrates this. And I love the fact that the reason why that gifts really do matter is because what the Bible teaches and what we just know intuitively to be true is that the gift always reflects the heart of the giver. I've spent a lot of time thinking about that this week. That the gift that I've give, gifts that I've given in the past reflect my heart. I want to say no. It's, it's kind of like last week when Michael asked me to stand. I wanted to say no. <laughs> I wanted to go, I don't know if I'm prepared for that. And so as I was working through this and I began to think like, these gifts, gifts that I've given in my past, they really reflect my heart. Why do I want to say no? It's because I know that I'm not very intentional, but I want Andrea to believe that I'm always intentional. I know that sometimes they're not very generous, but I definitely want everybody to think that what? I'm really generous. I think one of the reasons why I want gifts to not matter is because it just makes it easier for me. It, it comforts me. And yet when I look at God and I look at even his expectation for us, what I actually see is this profound truth that gifts always reflect the heart of the giver. And that is why one of the greatest verses of Scripture that point to who God is and what God is all about is actually found in that famous John 3:16 verse. For God so loved the world that he gave. That's his heart. God loved the world and so he gave. He didn't love the world so he was nonchalant. He loved the world and so he was inattentive. He loved the world and so he didn't care. No, he loved the world so he gave. And then the what that he gave just demonstrates the depths of the heart of God. He gave his only son. And then here's the purpose that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. There's just no way that you and I are able to look at Christmas and realize the meaning behind it, who God is and what he is all about and what he has done at Christmas and just believe that presents don't matter. Like I know that you and I are going to have to wrestle with the gifts that I purchased versus the one that God gave me, but if we start with him, there's this profound sense that we can understand, yes, presents really do matter. And interestingly enough, I think there is a close connection between these two ideas. Presents matter because presence matters. Like that's why I say, hey, it doesn't matter if you bring anything because I'd rather have you because I really would rather have you. Like, I really would rather. And if the gift's going to come in the way, I don't want the gift to get in the way. Like, I'd rather have you there. How many of you can think of people, broken, strained relationships, 
And you're not going to miss what's under the tree. You're going to miss them at the table. See, that's what we're trying to communicate. I get it. That not only do presents matter, but presence, being with one another, really matters. Which is another profound biblical principle. Going back and seeing God in creation, he demonstrates that not only is he a good giver of gifts, but in the end, the greatest gift that he, the greatest gift that he gave in that moment was his presence in the garden. And he was there with Adam and Eve, and they were naked, and they were not ashamed. That's a way of describing this, this closeness of relationship between creator and created. That which is the image itself perfectly in, in all its splendor, and that which is a shadow of that image. And what we actually see is in this garden, this coming together, it's what I think you and I in our greatest moments long for is that kind of reunion with God, but it existed in the garden where God's presence was with them. They, were, they loved the beautiful scenery and more than that, the artist himself in their presence. And it continued on. Anyone in the Bible that really understood and, and, and succeeded, did well, thrived, it was the presence of God in their lives that distinguished them from everybody else. One, one of my favorite stories that describes this is in Genesis 39. You know the story of Joseph? Joseph is somebody who was sold by his brothers into slavery and somehow was able to get out of that and was able to succeed. And then another problem comes in and he decides to be faithful to God and he finds himself back in prison and he begins to do well. And there's this constant back and forth of adversity, of struggle, and yet blessing. And then there is this repeated phrase in Genesis 39. This is what one of my favorite texts to remind me that it's not about Jim's integrity or it's not about me just saying no to sin or fleeing sin. There's something far more profound that's going on in Genesis 39. And that is this repeated phrase by the author that wants us to see what really matters is that every time Joseph found himself in a difficult circumstance, this phrase comes up. But the Lord God was with him. His brothers throw him in a pit, but the Lord God was with him. Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him, and he ends up in jail for saying no, but the Lord God was with him. Hey, what do these dreams mean? But the Lord God was with him. And it's the presence of God that distinguishes Joseph from everyone else. This is what Moses asked for. After seeing God appear to him in the burning bush, God says, I want you to go to Pharaoh, and I want you to speak to Pharaoh. And Moses' response is, I can't do this. Like, I don't want to do this, and I can't do it alone. And God says, well, your brother can go with you. And he says, listen, like, sure, my brother's good, but I need something more than that. And God, I will be with you. And all of a sudden, you see this transformation of somebody who claims they don't know how to talk and they don't know what they're doing to standing before the greatest political power and speaking with boldness. Why? Because the Lord God was with him. God's presence transformed Moses' life. And this is why the children of Israel said, listen, on our way into the promised land, we want you and we need you with us, God. And God promised his presence. By day, smoke. By night, fire. Why? 
It's the same reason why the kid says to his dad, listen, I'll go, but will you go with me? Like, I'll give it a try, but will you help me? It's that constant, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to try it. I need you there. Will you be with me? And God constantly promises his presence. And when they land up in the land, God promises his presence and they build a temple and he comes down and he dwells in the Holy of Holies. Even when they find themselves in exile, God comes and he appears to Daniel. He is with him. And yet, if you're honest, you can just tell that in the rest of the Old Testament that there's something that is really, really great about God being with Joseph and really, really important about God being um, with Moses and really, really strengthening with God being with Joshua and the children of Israel. But it's just not the same thing as what we had in the garden. Like something's missing. There's something about God's presence that is still lacking. And the only reason why it felt like something was lacking is because it was. But God had a plan for that. Joshua, as he is about to enter into the promised land, makes a very bold statement to the people of Israel who are afraid. And he says in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And that is true. God was with them and he promised them victory. But in the end, there was still more. That was never the final intent. That was never the final purpose of God. It was never the land. It was never these blessings. It was never the milk and it was never the honey. It was never the crops. It was never the abundance of family. It was never the celebration of what God has provided. It was always something more. All of these gifts were designed and intended by God to lead them back to him. These presents that God gave, these blessings that God provided, these blessings that God gives to us, the reason why they matter is because they point to what we so desperately need, even if we don't want it, what we so desperately need, because they point us back to him. Last week, Michael got to impress us with that Jesus is um, Yahweh saves. Well, I think this is a bit of a one-up on this because I love this one here. Emmanuel. The statement Emmanuel. What does that actually mean? Well, it just says there, God with us, but where does that actually come from? It's actually a Greek word that takes three Hebrew words. Im, meaning with. Anu, which means us. And then that last word, El, which just means God. It is a bringing together of three words which says God with us. And yet when that, those words are first spoken in the prophecy, prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7, something is different. This isn't the same thing as um, what is being described to Joshua, I'll be with you. This isn't the same thing that when you go stand before Pharaoh, I'll be with you. This is not the same thing as Joseph in prison or Daniel with dreams. This is something that is profoundly more. This is taking us back to the garden. This is actually beginning to redeem and restore that which was broken. And so they longed for the day in which 
that which was lost when humanity decided to rebel against God would then be restored. And interestingly enough, that the reason why this requires God is because that gift that we're going to see described in Christmas, the gift of Jesus Christ, reflects just how desperate our need is. Think back last week when Michael was describing Jesus, Yahweh saves. That's how desperate our situation is. Like I know it's hard for us to imagine that. As we look at ourselves and as we look at those people around us, we think everything is pretty much going okay. Sure, like on the news, I've seen some, some pretty messed up stuff, but the majority of us, things seem to be okay. And yet, when you look at the weight of what is demanded, that he is Emmanuel, that God would then begin to recognize the desperate need that we have and then would come himself to rectify the problem, that demonstrates how serious that issue is. When I, when I think back about some great Christian doctrines that cause a lot of problems for people, there are two that fundamentally I find are roadblocks to people, and, and the Bible actually speaks rather accurately about both of these dilemmas. The first dilemma that people wrestle with is, is, the, is the issue of the cross. And Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, actually makes a comment to this. He says, yes, I understand that the cross is such an amazing thing that God himself on the cross would die for us, that Jesus would die in our place for our sins, that there would be a substitution. He takes our sins and we get redemption. God takes our, our, uh, our punishment and we get the reward. That is so profound, Paul says, that there are a lot of people that are going to just label it as foolish. Like, I just don't get it. I don't understand how the cross of Jesus Christ somehow fixes the world or fixes my own problems. Even Christian people wrestle with this. It's why there's always this temptation for us to want to add a little bit more, kind of like a tip at the end of a meal. Hey, Jesus, thanks for helping out. Can I add my 15%? And Paul says, no, the cross is foolishness. I think sometimes it's even good for us to stop and to just to reflect on the magnitude of the generosity of God and to understand and, and, and not appreciate in the sense like we, 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 we like it, but appreciate on the sense of the magnitude of the gift to go, yeah, I can understand why people can look at the cross of Jesus Christ and just believe it's too good to be true. There must be something more. There's got to be another hook. There's got to be another angle. There's got to be something else. And what? And nothing. Jesus Christ accomplished it all on the cross. I think one of the reasons why it's good for us to just stop and think about the folly, the foolishness of the cross is actually because of this other amazing truth that I think gets kind of lost in the sentimentality of Christmas. I just couldn't help but think this past week, preparing for this message, that the foolishness of, cross, of the cross is rooted in the impossibility of the incarnation. The foolishness of the cross is rooted in the impossibility of the incarnation. 
Emmanuel, God with us, is, is not just, and he's going to be with us cheering us on. No, by the time it's done, the virgin will be with child. And she says it. I don't understand how this can be. I've never been with a man. No, I know. But what is impossible with man is not impossible with God, the angel says. Mary recognizes that what you're describing is impossible, but not with God. Think about it. What's not impossible with God? That God would love his creation so much that he would then come and God himself would take on flesh and take on human form, that he would empty himself in the second part of the Trinity, the Son, would empty himself and go out of obedience to the Father, that he would empty himself and put on human flesh and be found in likeness like us. And if that doesn't just shock you or surprise you, cause you to marvel at the incredible mystery that God is in flesh in Jesus Christ, then you haven't spent enough time with a Muslim or a Jew lately or just a good post-Christian American. Like you, you talk to them and they get it. My, my friend who's Muslim, I talk to him about Jesus. Hey, listen, I... I, I He'll tell me, I like everything that you like about Jesus, but that God thing, which by the way is everything, that God thing just goes too far. Like I just cannot believe that Jesus Christ himself was God. Man, I get it. God, you lost me. You remember our good friend Ori? Ori? Jewish friend from Israel, what will it take for you to just begin to accept or to believe that Jesus of Nazareth was not a prophet, was not someone with a, with a God sense or a God awareness? This wasn't like a, you know, like a Jewish version of Henry Nouwen, the great, uh, you know, one, yeah, wonderful spiritual person. It's not, it's not that. Jesus is fundamentally of a different kind in his divinity, and yet like us in his humanity. And Uri says, I'll never forget it, right here on this stage, there is nothing you could do or say to make me believe such nonsense. He was trying to be respectful, by the way. He was just going, humanity and divinity, they don't mix which is the reason why he was rejected, which is the reason why he was hated. It makes sense. Now I know why Herod was so upset. Now I know why the religious establishment was so mad. Now I know why. Why? Because it was Emmanuel, God with us. Christmas, when done right, can get you killed. Emmanuel, when properly understood, defines everything else. This isn't Joshua, I'm going to be beside you all the way. No. This is fundamentally God is in the room in human form and his name is Jesus. And that's who he is. We ask this question a lot, as I've said before, we have to ask this question, is it about 
the gift or is it about the giver? Is it about the one who's giving the gift or is it about the gift itself? And, and we go back and forth about this and I've said this morning that presence matters but I've said that ultimately it's the presence of one another that really, really matter. Maybe that's why Christmas comes. Christmas is able to say yes to both of those. Is it the gift or is it the giver? In Christmas we find yes. In Christmas we find it reminds us actually that the greatest gift is in fact the giver. I'm reminded of these cliches, and they are so true around Christmas time. Never send a boy to do a man's job. You've heard that, right? Never bring a knife to a... Some of you know about that. Others of you are going, we shouldn't be having those. And as a Canadian, I want you to know I'm deeply offended by all of it. But I know the cliché. You gotta bring something that matters or has value in order to get the job done. And, and listen, this is the power of Jesus Christ. You don't bring another human to a problem that only God can solve. Do you realize that all the other world religions are humans attempting to help other humans to fix their problems? This is what's wrong with worldly systems and worldly structures. It's other humans trying to figure out what the human problems are. But what if our problems are really needed to be fixed at the divine level? Then what is needed is not a greater sense of our humanity. What is needed is for divinity to incarnate in humanity to fundamentally and foundationally change everything. And that is Christmas. Why does God have to take on humanity? We've already said it. Because the need was that demanding. Our need could take nothing short of Jesus Christ, God in flesh, dying for our sins. And the second thing the Bible makes so very, very clear is that his love was that generous that God knew what was needed and God was more than willing to pay the price. Now, now do you see why? Probably one of the best things that you can do to prepare for Easter is to reflect on Christmas. See, that's why I believe that in the, in the church there can be this either this bringing together of Christmas and Easter or this separation. They can either be two rather traditional holidays that my family and I, we do these things. It's kind of neat and it's great to be with grandma. And then there's a much more fundamental way in which I get to reflect that God put on flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. And he came and he walked with us. And he died for us. And he rose again for us. Is God not great? So one of the best things you can do to prepare for Easter is to think long and hard and celebrate Christmas well. Here are some texts that describe the goodness of God towards us in his promise and taking on human flesh. Zechariah chapter 3 verse 17 talks about the celebration of God's presence coming over us as he comes to us. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Romans chapter 8, Paul describes that when God is with us in Jesus Christ, 
and that God has pronounced victory over us through what Jesus Christ has accomplished, that now that Emmanuel has come, there is nothing that can take that away. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus, when he is talking with the disciples before he leaves, realizes the concern that now that Emmanuel has come, that God has been in their midst, and now he says he's leaving, is this it? Is this going to be? Are you leaving now? And Jesus says, no, I, he says, I am going to come again to you. Speaking of the promised Holy Spirit, Jesus says in John 14, these things that I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring, you to, remember, bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Remember that this Christmas. Not as the world gives does God give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You have heard me say that I, you've heard me say to you that I am going away, but I will come to you. And that is in the promised coming of the Holy Spirit. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus promised to be with his disciples until he comes again. Go, teaching then to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, speaking again of the Holy Spirit, I am with you always to the ends of the age. And then it's good for us to remember. That all of this, all of the, um, when, 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 it, when it comes to the beginning of January, you know, like when you begin to take everything down and you begin to put it back in the boxes, how many of you are just thinking, wow, that was a lot of work for like about a month? Thank you, young lady. I appreciate that. That was a lot of work for just a month. And I love the fact that all this work that is being done, Jesus Christ points, has a purpose. And I am coming again. Revelation chapter 1, Jesus says, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to come back. And there's going to be a day when my presence, my dwelling with you is going to be at a whole new level. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. All that which was in the garden is now going to be fully restored. All of the presence of God with us, the spirit depositing an inheritance that is guaranteeing us that God is going to come back. This is the promise that the revelation gives to the church. And John writes the words of Jesus Christ, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Why? Because of Emmanuel. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Why? Because the intended plan of God was to always he himself Rectify the problem that you and I have with him by coming in human flesh and solving our sin problem and creating a path to God and an invitation for us to be a part of. Merry Christmas. That is why presents matter, because in the end, presence matters. Now, like we did last week, what I would like for us to do, if you have a card, and I hope you do, 
we want to spend some time reflecting on the implications of this. My, my own concern for myself and, and as a leadership, our concern is that we can have like a series or we can go through a biblical text and it can never really come home. Never really kind of resonates in us. I don't want to try to manufacture anything. But for us to reflect on the amazing truth that he is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Therefore, there is a promise of something, which is more than, than just sentimentality. Nothing wrong with being sentimental. I'm a rather sentimental person. Nothing wrong with that. But in the end, we're not here for sentimentality's sake. We're here because of the reality that God put on human flesh in Jesus Christ. We're here because of the reality of what comes in the Holy Spirit. And for that reason, I want to spend some time this morning reflecting over these two questions. In light of Emmanuel, God with us, how does the presence of God bring you comfort? Especially during a time of year where it can be incredibly difficult. Reflecting back upon loved ones lost, relationships damaged. There is a tremendous need in this room for comfort. Emmanuel promises it. How have you received the reality of comfort by God's coming to us in Jesus Christ? And the second thing is, is how does the presence of God give you strength? It's not just about a shoulder that you can cry on. It's actually about the strength to go on. And this Christmas, reflecting on all that God has done in the incarnation and what Jesus Christ has accomplished, the impossible being true, how does that provide the strength for you this Christmas to respond, the strength to give in a whole new way, the whole new level of intentionality, the strength to share the real truth behind what Christmas is and what God did on the very first Christmas? How has the presence of God, Emmanuel, given you strength. Let's pray. And so God, we thank you for the work that only you have done. And we pray that it would continue. Thank you, Father, for coming to us in our desperate need. And God, you accomplished more than we needed in your coming. And so we thank you for that, for the lives that have been changed this morning, and we celebrate that. But Father, may each of us genuinely take in and respond to you as the greatest gift of all. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.